Hello, everybody. Grab your martinis, shake them up, stir them if you want, but obviously the guy that we're going to kind of be tangentially talking about would prefer that you shake them. My name's Dan Mecca. This is, as you know if you're listening, the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. Um, and we're here in honor of James Bond as we record No Time to Die. Um, on its 17th release date is um, <laughs> finally coming out, which, look, we joke, but of course, there were very appropriate reasons for it to be delayed. Um, and very appropriate reason that's getting released right very, now, but that's that's a whole different thing. Yeah, <laughs> but it's I bet MGM wishes they just released it in November of 2019. But anyway. Um, Carrie Fukunaga was like, I just really need to fix this one thing. And they're like, God <laughs> damn it, Carrie. <laughs> but um, so anyway, with that aside happening, so um we're talking about Bomba. We're gonna do it, we're gonna do it the B side way, and we're gonna talk about the first three bonds, uh, Sean Connery, George Lazenby, and Roger Moore. But we're gonna talk about a B a B-side film that each of them made either during or right after their tenure as Bond. And to do this, we brought in a Bond lover, one of our amazing friends. He's been on the show a million times now, so this, but we I, love him. So we, I think, fucked it up last time he was on by saying he was a five-timer. This officially... Oh, is, is you are a I think Gavin oh. is well, what's funny is, is our first five timer. There's a two. It's this is a two parter. So really, it'll be like it's a, a five, six. A, yeah, a soft five, six. Yeah. So that Gavin, explains why I never got my coat in the mail. <laughs> yeah, we should it's have emailed you, Gavin. We apologize. And um, and also we should say to Gavin, thank you for um, loaning Glenn, Dun Glenn Dunks to us for the most recent uh, Nicole Kidman episode. Um, But anyway. Properly introducing Gavin Mevius, who is an amazing freelance editor, New York based, but you can edit anywhere nowadays. So, Absolutely. You know, any editing needs, shoot them, <laughs> a, drop them a line. Also, and perhaps most importantly, um, the co-host of the Mixed Reviews podcast, which we obviously talk about a lot in this podcast. We love we love your podcast. Your most recent episode was, I, it's not Almo Devar, it's, who is it? Cam Dia Cameron Diaz. Diaz. Cameron yeah. Diaz. Which I, can I just say, um, and I will admit, I'm only, I'm only about like a third of the way into that episode because I have been working a lot lately, but I, and you might, in this episode, you might rag on this movie, so I will happily be embarrassed on, on this podcast, but me and Kelly recently rewatched The Sweetest Thing, and we did find it to be better than its reputation. We we enjoyed it. Do you guys rag on that movie? I no, I, I actually admitted that I was pleasantly wrong yeah, about okay. it. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, so we agree. So we agree, because yeah. we put it on kind of like, this is months ago, but we were like, let's put it on. It's Cameron. It'll be fine, even if yeah. it's bad. And we kind of walked away being like, you know... It's kind of like, it's like ahead of its time. It's like women talking honestly about things and like it got railroaded by critics who probably were mostly men, right? You know, and you like yeah. look back and you're like, oh, that wasn't deserved at all. You know what I mean? For for what it was trying to do. So anyway, that it, was it's, my. Yeah. It's funny because I, I think it's said in the episode, but when it came out, it came out so close to there's something about Mary that I think in my brain, I was like, why do we need this movie? We have, and I think looking back, you know, a decade on, it's like, oh, but there's something about Mary is 
really problematic. And while this movie does occasionally have a problematic thing, it has sort of a better head on its shoulders. And part of that totally. comes from the fact that it's so female centric and so female led. Right. And that makes it so much more interesting and very funny, which is not to once again, if you're a fan of there's something about Mary, I'm not tearing you down, but there I think it's easier now to recognize the flaws in that movie and to come at the sweetest thing and be like, oh, OK, like, Wait, I get Gavin, why she'd want to do this. Are you saying there's things and there's something about Mary that have an age? I'm just kidding. You would, just, you would never guess. We, we, me and Kelly also rewatched that recently and we were like, OK. Ooh. I mean, we <laughs> laughed. I mean, look, we laughed a bunch, which I know I got. Yeah. I did get to the part of the podcast where you talk about it, but um certainly you you go back and you're like from the director of green book the masterpiece <laughs> green book um everyone's favorite oscar winner but so anyway um as always we have connor o'donnell connor uh how are you what's up i'm doing okay i don't know what does that mean anymore it doesn't mean anything it means i posted nothing. this um, on twitter but i'm gonna point it out right now i'm wearing this really spiffy black rain t-shirt oh Oh. that Dan Mecca bought me for my birthday. So It was recently Connor's birthday, and I, I feel bad. I should have looked this up. So our mutual friend, Jen Johans, I believe was in conversation with another person who I, I if I find the name, I'll tweet, I'll tweet him or her out, him or her or they out. But, but, but I can't, they were talking about the, that T-shirt, and I was like, oh my God, Connor needs this T-shirt, Black <laughs> Rain. And I found it on Etsy, of course, and I got it. And I was just like, hey, man, happy birthday. There it is. And it's just literally the Black Rain poster. No, it's just the I mean, poster. It's, it's on the Michael on Douglas kind of looking like a Terminator. You want to talk about a, you want to talk about a problematic movie that you yes. can still really like, Black Rain. Um, you two are so cute. I, 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 always, I know I say this every time I'm on, but Gavin, honestly. is it not the most Connor and Dan Black Rain Ridley Scott? I mean, on <laughs> that note, if we ever do either a Douglas Garcia or oh, Ridley God. Scott B-side episode, you best believe we're going to talk about Black Rain. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched it for um, the, this may may get me kicked off the podcast. I might not ever get my five timers coat. Um, <laughs> I watched it for our Michael Douglas episode. I don't remember a thing from that's, it. No, that's I mean, like, it's to me it's it's one yeah. of those Black Rain's one of those movies. It's like an earlier Ridley that feels like a Tony. And yes. and frankly, it is it is like I, I don't yeah. want to play my hand on my thoughts on Black Rain for some future episode, but it is one of those <laughs> things that I, I enjoy the movie fine enough for like whatever the schlock and the cheese and whatever. But you can't help but wonder actually, like, oh, if Tony directed this, it would be like earnestly good instead of like ironically good it's kind of. it's so funny anytime i watch a scott film i my brain does that and just in general and it could be one of their great ones but it's like what yeah. if the other one directed it yeah 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 it might yeah, be better it might be worse you, you could play that, does it. you could play that game with with a handful of either of their films for sure um all right so i'll set up this episode so like i said we're gonna do um, Connery, Lazenby, and more, but not their Bond films. And we're going to keep it simple, right? So we're going to do, I'll just run through the three. We're going to do Woman of Straw from 1964, which was Connery's year. It was, he had made three, right? So he had made Dr. No, he had made From Russia with Love, and he had just made Goldfinger. Yeah, it was right? the same, and same year. Same year. So yeah. Basil Dearden directed... Woman of Straw. Basil Dearden, you probably wouldn't know this director, but he he's made a lot of movies. A movie I recently watched as part of the TCM Film Festival, a movie called Victim, which is quite good. 
Um, he's made a lot of movies, but he directs this, uh, and Conry stars alongside Gina Lola Brigida and Ralph Richardson. So we'll talk about that one. And then we'll move to Lazenby, who famously only made, or perhaps infamously only made one Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And we will do, we're going to cover the movie he did kind of right um, after that, which right. almost, and if you if you were to read about it or if you've actually seen, I, I would say, listener, if you haven't seen it, might be a good little prologue to listening to this episode, but the documentary Everything or Nothing, right? he kind of, t- they talk about it a little bit. He made, they don't call out Universal Soldier by name, but it appears to be the kind of movie he made as a yeah. direct response yes. to to playing and 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 getting swept up in the culture of James, James Bond. Yeah. So I mean, there would be no denying it. I mean, we'll yeah. talk about it, but yeah, in every single way. Um and then finally our third movie will be the Roger Moore blockbuster, the <laughs> Peter R. Hunt directed. And funny enough, Peter R. Hunt, who was a Bond editor who directed Honor Majesty's yeah. Secret Service. <sighs> I know. Um which I like. We'll talk about it. anyway. Oh no, I yeah, I love. That's my favorite Bond movie, and I know that puts is me it? in a very strange camp. I, it is um, a good movie. No, I like so, that movie. So a lot. we'll talk about. Yeah. Golds was especially painful for me. Yes. But we'll get to Gold. Spoiler alert: a bad movie, but we will sadly <laughs> with, finish with, with it. With let me say, an earworm of a of an opening theme song. Yes, I, I'm not even. Oh, I mean, I'm not even joking. Like I have. <laughs> you can ask Dan. I've been going around gold. Like yeah, just in my brain, being like scrutin' dootin' doot for gold. <laughs> like just like yeah, anyway. I whatever. mean, they, we'll get to they like roped so many James Bond. I know. Once again, I don't want to skip ahead, but they roped so well, many Roger James Moore, Bond people. He 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 had a tendency. So he did that. I was reading a lot about Roger Moore for this. He did that with the Saint into yeah. the um uh sorry, I'm gonna get this right with the show with Tony Curtis, The Persuaders, which was the show he made right after the Saint, which he was like very hands-on with, mm. but it was only one season, partly because he got bond and partly because he hated Tony Curtis, allegedly. Um <laughs> which he like just brought everybody from the Saint. He was like, hey, everybody. Gotta make the persuaders come over here, and he like directs episode of the persuade directs episodes of the persuaders and whatnot. Um, and I watched a couple episodes of it, and uh, you know, it's okay. Um, I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get to it, but that's because Moore was a movie star. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the other sure. the other two you could argue, and I, I know Connery is a movie star, but like Connery and Lazenby, for better or worse, are actors. Well, oh, yeah. and, 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 and oh, generally, like, maybe not. Yeah. And, oh, and, sure. Oh, no. I think Moore would say that. I think, yeah. I think, I, I mean, you him. watch, I mean, he we'll was probably, very nice. Oh, you met Roger Moore? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, fuck yeah. All right. RIP. Yeah, yeah RIP. I have a great picture with him um, when I had bleach blonde hair because it was the Halloween I did, Mad Hatter. And he, uh, the when the person went to take the picture, they accidentally activated the um, record, like the video record first and he was like oh shit i'm taking a video i'm not that's not a picture uh and roger moore was like well i usually charge much more for a movie uh, uh, it was it was very a, smooth what a class act <laughs> yeah what a class act i um yeah i don't know I, I i followed that up as if i was gonna say i've met rod but i haven't so <laughs> um you can lie about it no we would no, all believe you I, 
I also met Roger Moore. Thank you. <laughs> I too met him. He's my dad. Um, no, no, no. What I was going to say is the he's he's my dad. I'm sorry. Uh, no, what I was going to say is that he, he he feels like a more gregarious person than the other two. Right. Like he seems like a dude that just is also more well, easily those... easily able to be like, hey, guys, do you just want to come over here and do this thing? And he just. He like well seems yeah, nicer to say, be around. I was gonna say, I, you know, I um will link to the his Dick Cavett interviews, and in those interviews you get that vibe where like to your point, Gavin, where like Roger Moore just like, hey man, I it's a business, you know, I'm yeah. a good looking guy. They yeah. tell me where to stand. Sometimes the stunts are hard, and that's why we have stunt guys. <laughs> that's hey, very much him. Like, that was very like, much him. So anyway, those are the those are the three movies. Uh, one one of straw, um, uh, Universal Soldier, sorry, and Gold. So starting, let's start with a little Bond, um, which is to say, what are our favorite Bonds? So my favorite. So like Gavin, you said your your movie, a movie, movie. Yeah, sure. So my favorite, Gavin, you said your favorite's Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, starring George Correct. Lazenby. Mine is Goldeneye, starring Pierce Brosnan. And which also is a reference. Goldeneye was the name of Ian Fleming's uh, um, his his estate. getaway. Yeah, yeah, on his yeah. island, his yeah. estate. Ian Fleming, famously good guy, no problems at all. <laughs> famously totally cool guy, I, had the, no issues. I, I just want to say this for the record because it was delightful to watch happen. But I literally just moment earlier today, I rewatched Everything or Nothing just as kind of a, a prep. And <laughs> Brittany's watching it with me and they do the intro to Ian Fleming and like describe who he was and how he acted and whatever. And she just randomly was like, am I wrong? He seems like he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, you know, he was basically and i might be getting this wrong because it's it's been a it's been a while since i but like he was basically a spy like he worked in and around he worked yeah he 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 was like a he was like softly a spy yeah and and he worked in british uh intelligence but like in he worked in the navy he was a commander in the navy like james bond oh wow and (laughs) yeah wow and but he was he was and i say this you know i guess Uh, I say this only because he this, hated this women. <laughs> kind Which, of, kind of, you know, had, had, not, had a, anybody had a that not, wasn't white. Yeah. Had yeah. a not <laughs> great relationship to women or drinking or, so, you know, there's like a lot. And the, I, to hear it told would be that James Bond is sort of Fleming's own escapist alter ego fantasy because he didn't see a lot of action. He didn't. You know, right. he, he was he was basically like a desk jockey with British intelligence and and with the British Navy. Um, and, you know, that tracks, I guess, like it all kind of like when you think about well, it, 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 it all makes sense in the dick in the Dick Cavett thing. Dick Cavett says to Roger Moore, like Ian Fleming was like a fascist. Right. And Roger Moore, which is like what I love about Dick Cavett, because like Cavett would always do that. He'd be like, he would just be like, hey, you know, I'm like a nice guy, but you know, he was like a fascist. And like Roger Moore is clearly like, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess. Like he's like, wasn't expecting to go on the I suppose, I suppose in the set, in like the I'm Randian way, right? In the like, in the like, only I can fix it. Like there's a, there's a fascist quality to James Bond in that regard. Like, yeah, like let me take care of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so anyway, 
So that's interesting. So Connor, what's your favorite Bond? Do you say? I mine's probably got to be Goldeneye from Russia with Love is up there. Yeah, that's my number I, two. I like that a lot. My yeah. intro, my intro to Bond was, uh, my intro to Bond was. You know what mine was? Goldfinger. You know, you know what mine was? Was it Never Say Never Again? It yeah. was Never Say Never, never Again. Never, wow, it was the first one I ever watched. Yeah. Never. Um. Yeah. The, Still have a soft spot for it because I first one I ever saw. You know what I, I so they that movie obviously famously competed with Octopussy when they were both right coming out and like I don't they really, got trounced. I, I I don't really love either of them. Well, but Connery, Never Say Never Again is the Con, better Connery. Movie, I think, Con, the the Connery day. would Connery would correct you though, uh, Gavin. I believe worldwide they almost made the same amount of money, but domestic oh. domestically Octopussy I think perform way better i'm gonna i'm gonna fact check myself but i believe that's true well I mean, my counter argument to that to mr connery is i'm still alive <laughs> so, oh so my god that. what's so funny is when you said that i thought you said mr connor oh, and i was like <laughs> oh director what's happening oh. what's happening god. i refer to him as mr o'donnell yes <laughs> like, uh <laughs> But um, yeah, I feel like my introduction to Bond was Goldfinger because my oldest brother is a gigantic fan, which admittedly, and I like Goldfinger a lot. If you're like 10, that's a boring introduction, kind of. And so because I had seen it because my uh, I guess I was younger than 10. I was like, I must have been like eight or something. But I had watched Goldfinger. I liked it well enough. I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. It's got some fun stuff in it. And then I because I didn't even I didn't see Goldeneye in theaters. Um, I didn't see that until it had like hit TV. Um, Although I do remember my older siblings going to see it and being like really jealous and mad and whatever. Um, But it was definitely like that was like I, I was kind of like I think when I finally saw Goldeneye, I was like, oh, this is what these movies are now. Like, this is awesome. Uh, what about you, Gavin? What was your intro? So my first James Bond movie was actually probably the sadly incredibly racist uh, Live and Let Die. Oh, yeah. Um, A movie I still kind of like, even though it's so yeah, tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. And like it's I, you know, I'm not a big um, proponent of censoring or erasing these sort of things. But I do think if you're going to come at them from a 2021 perspective or beyond, like it's important to realize and be able to acknowledge that these things are harmful depictions, especially that one specifically. Sure. But there's also, I mean, there's I, also a lot of I mean, yellow so face during the Connery years. I was going to yeah. say, I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a, I am a proponent of, I am a proponent not of c- censoring at all, but like with um, Wake and Fright, at which is a good movie. But at the beginning of that movie, if you watch it on, it was on Prime for a time. There's a warning that they show kangaroos yes. being killed, which I'm like, honestly, do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, right. at the beginning of, yeah. just at the beginning of the movie, say, look, there's some really fucked up racist, you know, voodoo adjacent, not like whatever, however you want to say, like bad depictions happening here. Take that with what you will or what, you know, I think that's uh, smart. Yeah. When they started releasing the Looney Tunes on DVD, they actually got Whoopi Goldberg to record that sort of thing. Oh, that's in, cool. in front of the, you know, insensitive material, because there is like even Dan and I were recently watching one of the one 
that's labeled a classic, which is a great Bogey and Bacall mm. Looney Tunes cartoon and it's like a wolf like going crazy for Bacall on screen yeah and then at the very end there's like a depiction of bogey and blackface and it's uh, just mm. like and we're just like why weren't we warned yeah. but that's because we're watching it on daily motion um <laughs> and uh, but that's that's the sort of thing like i i think it's important to educate and understand the context of where these things are coming from and hey if you watch it and you're like that's racist i never want to see it again good yeah, like that's true. fine you be be in your feelings about it that's the whole point but like it it would be nice to to have those things and acknowledge that there is a place of learning that comes from them yeah i mean it's so funny in doing the mixed reviews one of the things that we've come to learn is as awful as it sounds you know for the most part outside of things like <laughs> that are pretty obvious like the stuff in the james bond movies the 90s are a huge offender when it comes to racism sexism oh yeah uh, homophobia yeah. ableism and it's one of those things where if you don't go back and recontextualize these things that you saw as a kid you know they they could be damaging they could you know it's yeah. important to to realize that like as a species as a as a people as a humanity we learn and we grow from these things uh that being said Live and Let Die, yes, was my first James Bond movie. I love Yefet Koto. I love... Oh, he's so good, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mr. Jane Seymour, I still Jane love Jane Seymour, I was going to say, she's one, she's absolutely one of the most striking, beautiful women yes. in the world. She's, she's, like, also... she's a quintessential Bond girl in that regard. Like, how could you not just be like, oh, you're just sent from heaven? Like, Right. Yeah. And if you see her in other things outside of this movie, she's a really fantastic actor, unfortunately, in Live and Let Die. She does a lot of, like... Right, react being the yeah. damsel, but yeah. uh, th there's stuff I really love about that movie. My, that's why I often tell people I'm I'm such a weird Bond fan, but I am a Bond fan, even though I acknowledge all the problems. I my favorite Bond is Roger Moore. My favorite movie is uh, the Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It's not any of the traditional stuff, though. I do say if Connery had starred in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, everybody would acknowledge that it is the best James Bond movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, I agree. I agree. I, I, see, I agree with that. Because if you had gotten to, if you had gone to the sixth Bond movie with Connery and they made the choices they made in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I mean, because look, back then, they did that more often. We're like, yeah. I don't know the context of how they made Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but I would bet they didn't change it too much from like writing it for Connery. And they just were like, whatever we got Lazenby. Like, let's just, we got this model. Like, you know, what's nuts about that adaptation is that it is very close to the book, to the book. And I was going to ask you. And there's things that are different, obviously, because you're trying to make it more cinematic and you're trying to make it more exciting for the audience. And I get that. But unlike most of the Connery adaptations, post Goldfinger, I guess, which is only two more. But like uh, Thunderball strays a bit from the book and then You Only Live Twice is completely Raul Dahl just rewrote that from top to bottom, was not interested. And so it's it's funny that Honor Majesty's Secret Services is very much returned to this sort of kind of accurate adaptation and ends up working so well. Yeah, it's it's got a lot in common with Casino Royale. Like, when, like tonally, like if just as a movie, there's like a lot of downtime. It's a it's a relatively quiet movie, which I feel like can off put some people. Yeah. Um, 
comparatively speaking. Well, you know what I was thinking? I was going through. I rewatched The Spy Who Loved Me, but just because I love that movie. Oh, that's that's so. By the way, I, I know that you guys mentioned From Russia with Love is your second favorite. It's also my second favorite. I love From Russia with Love. So my good. third favorite being The Spy Who Loved Me. I yeah. love The Spy Who Loved Me. It's great. But so, but I had this thought, and maybe you guys will agree with me. One great one lovely thing i think about the franchise writ large is even including lazenby every guy who's played bond has had the luxury or the luck of being in at least one very good slash great bond movie you know obviously connery has a few but lazenby's one is very good like we're talking about yeah i would argue roger moore obviously spy who loved me a lot of people like for your eyes only more than I do, but I get that. And you know, you can make arguments for living like that. You can make arguments for, uh, you know, in a sillier way, Moonraker, I suppose. But then you go like, I think The Living Daylights is one of the best Bonds, and that's Timothy Dalton's first one. I love The Living Daylights, and then Goldeneye, unequivocally, I think is a good one. You would be shocked that your taste lines up with my boyfriend Dan Walbert because I made him sit through all the oh, James Bond nice. movies. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, and, nice. yeah, exactly. And he's he would agree with you completely. It, when I mention For Your Eyes Only, he's like, did did we watch that one? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The Topol, only thing, a mountain. Well, Mark like, like, of it. Or so yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. to to For Your Eyes Only is the mountain is the rock climbing one at the yeah end. the gr- the Greek yeah. bad guy played by that the, stuff the, is yeah. cool, but that is legitimately the only thing I remember about that movie. Which may, <laughs> which maybe that's enough, right? Sometimes do you, lo- sometimes do you love that movie, Gavin? Movie, Some people enough. love that movie. I I do. It's not yeah. my favorite, yeah. but like you don't remember the exploding Lotus E Spirit, the worst. James Bond contraption in any like literally his his car defense mechanism is that it just blows up and then he's standing there with Electra and he's like I guess we'll need another car and it's like yeah why would you design that like <laughs> I um but you know it's funny because you're talking about it's wow it's interesting to think about this where like all of their first movies are kind of like Casino Royale like when they have a new actor they do that thing where they're like Let's fucking let's make it let's like lock in and make it a little yeah. bit more gritty, right? Like, well, di- on di- uh, different levels, but yeah, like, yeah, sure. But at when, least to when, live and let die, it's like to that point, it's like, oh yeah, it's gonna be about like drugs in New York and shit. Like, do you know? And, like, well, no, and also, like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the thing about live and let die was they were actively attempting to move away from the gimmicky because the the thing you get with diamonds are forever is. Honor uh, Majesty's Secret Service comes out and then Lazenby backs out of doing anymore and they're like what are we gonna do they basically are like we're gonna offer Connery all the money in the world and yeah, the Connery's record, like, yeah, yeah. yeah and Connery's like yeah absolutely I'll do it for that amount of money which causes the movie's budget to decrease sure. spectacularly yeah. which is why the movie for being as famous as it is looks like it does it's super that's cheap my, let me just say that's my, yeah that's my least favorite bond movie oh see dan loves it because oh, of how cheap wow. it is that's funny that's funny um, i hate but, uh, oh, i hate that movie yeah but so then when they go to more they're like well we can't like that was too campy and we can't do that again so the first thought is take away all the gadgets so q it's one of the few movies that q's not in right, Live right. And Let die they remove that aspect i think the only gadget he has is the wristwatch thing that fires yeah. the missile that ends up being the thing that saves him in the end so right. in a way it's still not removing the gadgets from james bond but the the thought process is that 
And you're right. Like every time that a new actor takes over, even though like when you watch The Living Daylights, which is Dalton's first one, you can tell it's kind of tailored more towards Roger Moore. It has that sort of like snarky quality. It is sort of a back to basics. It's like, it is, yeah. you, you know, you would you would probably not get that riding down the hill on the cello scene with Roger Moore, especially not in his aged state at that point in in you but you maybe would have gotten it more towards the beginning of roger moore yeah, yeah but yeah, not yeah. but not then the other not funny Vidu thing Killer, too yeah. to that note especially with living daylights right is and i don't think they were in like production on the movie yet i don't think that had officially started but i can't imagine they weren't like writing it and when you think about what happened with brosnan that he was basically going to star in that movie and then didn't because of remington steel like he was literally yeah, you know, had done the photo shoots and all that and like was going to be James Bond. The 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 fabled story is, is that he was set to go to the press conference. Yeah. And as as he was walking out of his house, the phone rang and they were like, we've activated the clause in your Remington Steel contract. You gotta <laughs> yeah. come back yeah, it, was, it was like season six, right? It yeah, was yeah like, they, they whatever, basically yeah. it got canceled and then NBC renewed it. And in between that happening, there was this 60 day period where it's like, if nothing happens for 60 days, do we days, call that, do we call that the constant woo, uh, uh, yes, clause yeah. or whatever? <laughs> On, honestly, if Twitter had been around, Pierce Brosnan would have tweeted, fuck. <laughs> yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> it, it is funny. You mentioned that though, because when you look at the living daylights and then you look at license to kill and then obviously gold knight and the way that even course corrects where it's like yeah okay so not as camp not as jokey as roger moore let's make it a little more serious oh no no no, too serious too serious and then like gold knight gold knight is that like sweet spot again right of like oh it's like it's a little serious because we're going to talk about like the end of the cold war and we're going to bring it up to date a little bit in terms of like somewhat of a contemporary setting but like there's still going to be jokes and he's still going to be charming and he's still whatever. Um, so it's kind of funny. I mean, it, it you, you almost wish not. I don't know wish, but it would be curious to see if Dalton got one more. I mean, you know that, the, you know, this like, you know, the story behind that, right, too. And this is all this is all very well documented. But essentially, um, are you talking about just the studio shakeup in terms of well, it kevin what is his name he shares a credit oh on, yeah yeah kevin yeah. um Ke- kevin Ke- mcclory yeah yeah kevin mcclory pulled essentially a gag on them by being like i want to make more fox james bond movies after never say never again right, right eon takes him to court they're like no we own james bond he it basically just wants to keep remaking Thunderball. Yeah. Because yeah, Never yeah. Say Never Again another remake of Thunderball. Yeah, yeah. And Thunderball is the only one that he actually has the rights to because it was like his story, basically. That right. Fleming su- supposedly stole. Right. Because they yeah. co-wrote the screenplay together. Yeah. Because Thunderball was supposed to be the first James Bond, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure most people in the audience know this. If you don't, Wikipedia exists. And the interesting thing about what happened is, is he was able to tie up the rights into court for long enough that by the time they got around to announcing, hey, we're OK to make another movie like we have the rights to make the James Bond films. Kevin McClory no longer has the right to make, you know, his Fox James Bond films. Dalton was like, I'm too old, which I think is <laughs> once again a gag because he literally replaced Roger Moore, who was about 137 yeah, <laughs> by so the time old. A View to a Kill came out. I mean, famously, Roger Moore said he 
he like gave up the ghost because he'd wanted to retire before Octopussy. Right. And they were very scared about Never Say Never. So they were like, please, please stay on. We need you. We need the box office. So he stays on for a couple more movies. And then on the set of A View to a Kill, his co-star, who is um, now I'm forgetting her name. I swear to God. Oh, from a, view, from a View to a Kill? It's, yeah. Um, Tanya Roberts. Tanya Roberts, yeah. yeah. His, his co-star, Tanya Roberts, he tells her his age, and Tanya Roberts is like, that's the age of my grandmother. Oh <laughs> and so my he was like, God. I'm out. I got to be done. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap yeah. it up. <laughs> Shut it down. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, look, it's the reason it's one of the most interesting franchises, whether or not you like the movies, even in the context of cinema history, Hollywood history, you know, the, the fact that they mimic the things that the, the, you know, the trends of the time is always Absolutely. a fascinating thing. Moonraker, Star Wars, License to Kill, Miami Vice, right? Like you have these very specific Quantum points. Jason Bourne. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. people like to be like Casino Royale feels like a Jason Bourne movie. It might have like barely, those, barely. Yeah, it yeah. might have those moments, but it, it truly doesn't. It feels very much like original yeah original yeah but quantum of solace yeah. is a born movie and and a badly made born movie at that yeah, like so half a badly made one i i kind of go to bat for that movie a little bit i think it's i think it's the best thing about quantum of solace which is it's so short yes which is a blessing what a blessing and i think that the <laughs> the worst part of that movie is its third act so i think frankly you know, if two thirds of your movie is like an okay James Bond movie, you could do worse. Like there are wor- there are worse James Bond movies, I think, than Quantum. I uh, maybe not worse James Bond songs. That's for sure. Oh, I mean, people people hate on that song. It's fine. You know, it's no worse than Die Another Day, does, which is also real bad. Doesn't so, like, the Quantum of Solace song sound like someone exported something with like four layers <laughs> muted? <laughs> Okay, my, that's, my, that's yeah. My favorite, my favorite song story, and I like this song, but that for the Living Daylights, John Barry hated working with Aha so much he just walked out. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, Aha, it's Aha just finished it without him, which like he never did before. He just was like, you know what? I can't work with these guys. I can't do it. <laughs> it's so funny because Duran Duran had such a good time with him too. That's what if he you li- said when you yeah, read about you it. List- he loved working with Duran Duran on a yeah. view kill, and then like Aha was like, like semi Duran Duran. Yeah, and they and they had apparently this like huge ego in the studio is what. He well, I was said. just gonna say it goes to show you who's the one hit wonder Duran Duran. Right, 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 <laughs> or, right, or right. them. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, that's a good point. But I still, I still actually like the Living Dead. But all right, oh, so me too. Jumping into Woman of Straw, so we'll jump into it. And I'll, I will say this: we can kind of keep coming back to Bond because I do think all these movies. This is probably the strongest one we're going to talk about. Um, I don't think any of them are particularly amazing um so we can definitely kind of be loosey with this episode in my opinion woman of straw though like i said is um directed by basil dearden it stars uh connery lola brigida and ralph richardson and the kind of the simple premise of this movie is it's basically this really rich british guy and he's very old and he's ralph richardson and he's a horrible person (laughs) And he's got a conniving nephew played by Sean Connery. And they need a new nurse for Ralph Richardson's character. And they can't keep any nurse on because this guy's a racist. He's a misogynist. He's just the worst. He's just a bad, truly rich, all, old like a bastard. Truly and all. And I'll say, yeah. true, like, 
in a way that was like we talk about th- how things age. The first yeah. twenty minutes of this movie, you're like, "Holy mother of God!" Yeah, I someone think just, the, I think someone the, shoot this guy. Yeah, like, I he think was... the only reason the movie gets away with it is that the movie knows that he's a monster. Sure, right? sure. Right? Like so, so and then, but the it base, is a bit over the top. It's yes. a bit over the top. Yes, yeah. yeah. And look, Ralph Richardson, theater legend, right? Who over the top is his middle name, right? If you know oh, his yeah. work at all. And yeah. and that's not to take away from his performance. No, I he's great. think yeah, he's great. I think yeah. everybody's very good in this very boring movie. And once again, I do think it's the best of the three. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it a is. pretty good way to describe it, actually. Yeah. It, it's yeah. And I so 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 basically just to finish, I mean, because it's a simple premise and we won't spoil it, obviously, but basically what you learn early on is Connery's the nephew would love to inherit all of Richardson's vast wealth, but he Richardson being in Connery's opinion, a not nice person has bequeathed all of his riches to a charity just to spite Connery. So in hiring a new nurse who is played by Gina Lola Brigida, he realizes early on that Richardson has this different, unique connection with Lola Brigida because she reminds him of his late wife. And he's like, Connery goes to Lola Brigida and is like, yo, let's connect here. Let's seduce this guy. You're pronouncing it wrong. I think it's let's connect here. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, thank you for that. And she kind of begrudgingly says okay let's do it he's a horrible person and they they connive to outwit him of his many many millions that's the that's the movie and then as with many of these movies things happen and then it becomes another movie right so it's not i i i did enjoy it basically i think I was I I uh, I I was reaching out to you guys. I I always read the New York Times reviews for every movie we do, and the the Times review for this movie is a just slaughter. They, oh like, yeah, they're like, oh, we've seen this movie a million times. Lola Brigida, like, pull your skirt down. Like, what do you think you're doing here, Connery? Why don't you go back to Flemingville? You're a fucking hack. It's like. <laughs> It is. It is like, and then like R- R- Ralph Richardson's just out for the paycheck, but he's a talented actor. It's like, a, it's, it's such a, it's such a takedown. Um, I don't think it's all that. I think it's a, a bit better than that. But I, um, I always laugh when you read reviews. Like in '64, this is the way someone would review Black Widow now, right? Where it's like, yes, well, beyond, we've seen it forty times, and it's like <laughs> we, we we watch it in 2021. We're like, oh, I would, know, it's I would a nice little mystery. Seven, <laughs> I would murder seven people for a movie like this to get released. Why? Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> With it's a like, big that's budget, why, that's why everybody. <laughs> That's why everybody loved Knives Out, right? Yeah, sure, it's like, sure. Yeah, yes. It's that thing. It's yeah. Like, so anyway, the, what did but, what did you go ahead, Gavin? Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, but the funny thing is, is is for as much as they don't make them like they used to, as you guys are giving, people were exhausted by this type of movie when this came. Like this is a time period in which this was already post Hitchcock. Sure. So people are like, people are like, we can do exciting thrillers. We don't have to make them like no, this. And that's, they don't have to. That you know, that's a totally fair point because I I basically liked this movie, but. Even in my liking, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. As Diet Hitchcock, like, sure, right? Like, it's you know what I mean. Like, it's not. I'm not going to pretend it's something that it isn't because that that's I do, totally correct. I do think, in the context of Bond, as we talk, what I love about Connery, um, 
and obviously this is well documented as we were saying before, his deep-rooted, continual insistence to fight against the Bondness with movies like this, where he would, I, 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 I mean, this, I think this is basically fact. Like he would go to his representation and be like, "Let me play this villain." Yeah, in this mystery thriller directed by this accomplished British filmmaker. Right, because I mean, he did, I, yeah, he does the same thing with Marnie, right? Well, no, and even The Hill. I mean, even The Hill, the Sydney Levent movie, which I believe comes out the same year. The Hill is a great movie, and he—it's like he—it's the anti-heroic Bond performance, right? It's like The Hill is like a a war movie that Lumet would direct, right? Where it's like, hey, war? What do we think about war? Right? Like the way that <laughs> sure. Lumet, you know, like like, and and even I was saying, we Connor, we were talking earlier, even. I think I believe it's 1970. Six years later, when he's basically done with Bond, he's going to make Diamonds Are Forever and then Never Say Never Again a, a, a ways later. But the Molly Maguire's, the Martin Ritt yeah. movie, which is one of my favorite movies, is just he literally throws all of his star power at making the Molly Maguire's, and they sell it like a thriller, and it's really just a kind of union, you know, unionize your workers. Right. Mar- a Martin Ritt movie. Right. You know, Martin, Ritt, you know, Norma Ray, this same, you know, yeah. it's like it's very much that type of a movie. Him and Richard Harris. Beautiful picture. People hated it because people went to the theater and they're like, wait a minute. It's about what is it about? Miners? <laughs> no. Like and he had a he has a lot of movies like that. And even Marnie, which I know was a hit. They that was a bait and spit. Squ- uh, that was a bait and switch mark marketing campaign because. Yeah. They sell it like a romance between him and Tippi Hedren, and then you watch it, and it's like, yeah. not that. Yeah. And it's, I, that's what I love the most about where, you know, Gavin, you talk about Roger Moore, where, you know, Moore never found success outside of Bond as a movie star in terms of the box office receipts. Right. But nobody tried harder to appease his fans, which it's almost ironic in that way, outside of the Bond franchise. Then more because even Brosnan yeah. did was more like Connery. Like Brosnan was like, I'm gonna make Taylor Panama, which is like fuck James Bond. Like if you see Taylor Panama is literally like, what if James Bond was a real person? Right? That's yeah. the premise yeah. of that Borman <laughs> movie. And then like Evelyn, he like fought to get made for years, and yeah. it's he's he's like a deadbeat dad is the kind of, and who who becomes a better dad. Right? That's evelyn he like tried to make those robinson crusoe like he tried to make which we're going to talk about in the next part of the episode he like tried to make those movies and that all fascinates me so woman of straw is very much the beginning of that for conrad which is interesting yeah yeah and i mean it it is just i don't know it it feels like a smart move because obviously one of the things that makes connery and this is the thing I was paying attention to while watching these movies that I think is kind of interesting is like what made them successful at Bond and and does that make them successful in other places? Right. Like and I think one of the things about Connery <clears throat> is that he feels truly dangerous as James Bond. Like there is a there is a despite the jokiness and the handsomeness and whatever there feels like a malevolence to Sean Connery yeah. <laughs> that that I think is effective as Bond because you're like, oh, yeah, no, this dude has killed a lot of people. Right. Right. Um, and it's I think it obviously plays in Bond in some of the worst ways, obviously, and specifically in the ways that he handles women and things like that, that like does not play well. 
Uh, but I think it is certainly at home here and it's certainly at home in Marty. Right. Like it's, it's a thing that he clearly is like very good at and can play into. And you kind of, it does make you wish you saw a little bit more of it, you know? Cause I think, I, I think even at, you know, even in the broad strokes of his career, even outside of James Bond, obviously he was a movie star in his own right. But I feel like people don't remember, like people, you know, what they remember, The Rock, they remember. Right. Uh, it, it, took him a, it took him, it took him, it took him a while to dig out of the the James Bondness because you, you have movies that people remember the Zardoz's, the Untouchables, mm-hmm. the, but True. like a lot of them were not, you know, until you get to the Untouchables and, and whatnot, it, they, they weren't huge because it was this association and it's interesting how the the sort of ghost of james bond because in my brain he is james bond sure and i know that's like a an odd thing to say but he's the template everybody sort of has to build build their own bond out of connery yeah and that's fame famously but also like i don't you know i wasn't there so i can't say it's an actual quote but like in the the man with the golden gun Roger Moore slaps around a woman and he hated filming that scene. And supposedly at the end of that scene, he said, I won't do this again. We will not do this in another Bond movie. I am not Sean Connery. Yeah, no. And and it's it's one of those things that's truly like. I mean, it's it's the hardest. uh, I mean, the, the racism is the other thing, but like that stuff to me is the more pervasive harder stuff to watch when you watch a connery bond movie frankly like and like we were saying look like you got to take things into context in terms of the times and whatever and i can still rewatch those connery bond movies and enjoy them for their merits but that stuff is hard like and it but it plays in woman of straw and, uh, you know, listener, if you've seen Marnie, like it plays in these movies in a way that feels intentional and successful yeah. uh, and it, it kind of more more so than it does if, if someone's trying to be a hero. Right. Like, because for the most part, it's so much more psychological. Yes. Yeah, which is also not to absolve him for the treatment of his the women in these films. But it is almost mentally your your body sort of is like, OK, well. He's a bad guy. Right. And he's, he's treated gonna, as such. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. He, and he's going to do. And and that's, you know, when you're watching a James Bond movie, you're like, he's the good guy. <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess we're not going to hey. do better than that. Yeah, I guess. I guess we got to watch him smack around a lady yeah. for this next three minutes. <laughs> and like and that's so. So it's interesting that, you know, he he's not as and there are physical moments. So I don't I don't want to say that they're not. But they're but the game that he's playing specifically in women of straw, the game that he's playing in Marnie are much more about getting into the head of his victim. Right. Yeah. And so that, you know, it's a, it's a much different place than, you know, cause that bonds not as Judy Dench put it in casino Royale. He's a blunt instrument. Yeah. yeah. You know, yes. it's not yeah. about the psychological games, no. which I always like the, the, I, I think I was listening to the film spotting podcast. They mention, and I've read casino Royale, but I think Fleming described Bond either in one of his books or in an interview as a blunt instrument. So yeah. in Casino Royale, when Dench says that, it's like a direct nod. I, I can't to remember if Fleming. it's Casino Royale or if it's Moonraker. Those are the two. No, she says I mean, it definitely. I think in yeah, Casino yeah. Royale. Yeah, I mean maybe also in Moonraker. I don't know, but 
Uh, I mean, I both I really like both those books, but they are once again. Oh, you're saying the books? Sorry, you're talking about the yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah. No, yeah. I'm talking about the books. Um, I've read a bunch of the books, but those are the two I remember the most because, um, Moonraker the film is not really an adaptation of the book, and the closest we've gotten to an adaptation of the book is sadly Die Another Day, mm. which has is hands down my least favorite James Bond movie. Interesting. And so I think that there is a good adaptation of Moonraker to be made somewhere. That's interesting. <laughs> somewhere. I um, and, and just, so like that's why it's so fresh in my brain. For those listening, if you haven't read one of Ian Fleming's books and you think James Bond is a problematic character on the screen, <laughs> I just don't. I would just say don't don't read the books. Yeah, yeah. because it's yeah, hard. It's so much more um, intense in well, that respect. It, it's anyway. there, it's went to to read Fleming. And to read Bond, it does make that thing of like, oh, it's him exercising some kind of a fantasy. Like, you're yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's true. Like, and they're and they're so much pulpier. There's so much. It's funny. The first time I read Casino Royale, I was like, oh, this is a detective novel. Yeah, right. I was like, yeah, this yeah, is a, sure. this isn't a spy novel. Well, so it I, is, it's not unlike the Batman. Uh, wouldn't you say it's not unlike the Batman graphic novels, comics to the movies, right? Where in yeah. those comics he's way more of the great the world's greatest detective yeah, and then yeah, in the absolutely. movies it's like the detective stuff kind of mostly <laughs> gets tossed to the side yeah he's like you're not saying that he's a great detective when he puts that man upside down and screams in his face where are the I drugs think the, the only the only movie <laughs> great detective is, work batman i think the only movie where he's like a detective really is mask of the phantasm right which is yes, which is I why would, it's the best batman movie yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that, but I would also say that the first two Keaton movies, he actually does do some detect. Like, oh, the, it's very, okay. it's, it's very quick, but like he has his file on Jack Napier where he's like, "Oh, he was an art student," and blah 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 blah. Like he he does his research he talk, at and least. he talks to Vicky Vale about the chemicals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah absolutely uh, decent detective work. He's an okay gumshoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's doing all right. You might not want to hire him. There might be you know something else in your price range. But... I will say just to go back to Woman of Straw real quick. <laughs> No, no, only because Dan. Mentioned, oh, we were talking about a movie. No, just because yeah. Dan mentioned like poor Gina Little Bridget are getting torn apart in the yeah. reviews. I don't know. Uh, when I, to me, when I watch movies like this, that kills me. Yeah. I especially if I'm watching like a classic movie with two hot movie stars, I'll get horny on Maine. I don't care. And like watching this movie, I was like, they're both smoke shows. This is great. I love oh, this yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. And and obviously, even though he's like a conniving monster or whatever, it's just like there's an obviously an undeniable star power there. And a sexual charisma between both of them that to me was like the lifeblood of like most of this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and the but, fact that the second half kind of abandons it hurts the movie, the, I think. Yes. I don't want to get too deep into spoilers, but the second yeah. half becomes something reminiscent of a movie that rhymes with Schmeekend at Schmerny's. Um, <laughs> it does. And that, I kept thinking that. And that I was I, like, is this that I, what I should be thinking? That I kind of loved. Like, I think I sent you a message while I was watching it, Dan, where I was I was like sending Dan a few messages while I was watching it. Where I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is pretty good. It's fine. It's whatever. And then like this moment happens and I was like, this movie's maybe insane. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we don't have to get into it. I would say if just as a general thing. I would recommend, I think, if you're someone who's open to like a halfway okay thriller and if you want to see some sexy old movie stars, I, you know, I, I think I, you well, could do worse I, with your time. I think so. Lola Brigida is it's good to stop by Lola Brigida 
uh, avenue for a moment just to yeah. say she's an underappreciated starlet that probably not a lot of people even remember anymore, which is a shame. She she comes from the camp of Sophia Loren and Raquel right. Welch from that time, you know, the, 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 the sexy, you know, pseudo foreign like actor actresses who kind of got all fought for the same roles, essentially, you know, in this kind of even tougher time for those types of actresses back then. And her story is interesting because she essentially became a star overseas, signed a contract with Howard Hughes that that Howard Hughes, the same mm. one and the same, <laughs> not my uncle Howard Hughes. And, um, <laughs> is re- is he related to your dad, Roger Moore? She <laughs> yeah. she signed a contract with him in the early fifties, and then he kind of slipped away from everything by like the fifty three, fifty four. But like, you know, was a famously not nice person, and that he held the contract tight. So. Hollywood wanted her to to come to LA to make her a star. And basically because of this contract, she had to stay in Europe right. and like make movies where she could. Her first quote unquote Hollywood movie is a movie we have covered on this podcast, mm-hmm. a John Houston movie called beat the devil, which is pretty good, which they made in Europe. Right. And yeah. that's the only reason she's in the movie. She's like one of the two women Humphrey Bogart is competing for. I believe the other one's Jennifer Jones. And so like, She's one of these actresses who kind of got shit on her whole career because she was too pretty. Kind of. It's well, like that's, I, I was going to say the the you know the noted one of the noted things about the movie is its claim that she was both um, quote moody and difficult throughout the production and yeah. and uh, she frequently clashed with both Connery and Basil Dearden. And I think when you read those things once again in a modern context, especially when they're talked about about a person who's not in power versus people who are in power, you know, a very famous actor at the time and a very famous director at the time. You maybe have to take it in a grain of salt. It's totally. sort of like when when people label, you know, black women actresses specifically difficult, which is like a kiss of death for a career. And it feels very that, especially sure. after all the things that you're talking about, about the contract, about yeah. being trapped in Europe and only being able to... so. It's it's really unfortunate because it's probably one of those careers that was sidelined by the fact that she knew her worth and there were men that didn't particularly like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, and then it, with, with, with so many of these women, like she she ends up not getting the roles she wants to get basically within a decade of this movie. Right. And, you know, gets a recurring role in Falcon Crest, which was a popular soap. But in the meantime, becomes a photojournalist. She just pivots to like a whole nother career and has like incredible success because she's like a smart, successful, ambitious woman. And it's just these are the things that just get kind of swept under. And it becomes like she just gets, oh, yeah, oh, Gina Lola Bridges. She was beautiful. Right? And it's like that. Yeah, that's fine to say. But that that's not the only thing. You know, and so point being in Woman of Straw. She is a highlight. No, I she's think, very good. It's a great the performance. Thir- the third act kind of betrays her character, in my opinion, where, like, it, I think the script forces her to be dumber. Yeah, than, much less intelligent than she, than she was presented. Is, right, yeah. which bothered me uh, immensely. But other than that, which is out of her control, she, I think, is especially um, 
especially capturing in this movie. And then, and then, yeah, Ralph Richardson, look, like we said, he never was as famous on the screen as he was on the theater, but he got nominated for The Heiress, and then he gets nominated 40 years later, almost for Greystroke, which was his last film role, as a posthumous nomination. And, like, he's just one of those guys where it's, like, when he's on the screen, kind of Nigel Hawthorne kind of does this. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, the mag- madness of King George. He... Nigel Hawthorne almost has like a Ralph Richardson third act in his own career, like 20 years later, but it's the same thing. It's like these boisterous English actors who like project for the theater, they get onto the screen and they blow you out of the water. And I think it's basically really um, lovely to watch him just chew scenery in this movie. So like the performances are the reason to watch for sure. Yeah. Agreed. And that's, I mean, that's Ramona Straw. I think, you know, we can, you know, that's Connery. He's, like we said, we he made a lot of movies while he was Bond. You know, that, look, that was back in the day when they were just, they were, they were, they were uh, throwing out Bond movies every, every other <laughs> year or every year, as opposed to Daniel Craig making five and 15 years yeah crazy <laughs> he has the longest tenure as bond years years the, wise right and yeah. has and has made the third most movies that's, that's crazy. crazy that's wild. it's um, it's so yeah. funny too because like that's the 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 goal is always like spit them they out. want to do one every two years and it's just like every time that you you know Every, every time that you look at one of these movies, how much money they spend on. That's the joke I was making up at the top of the episode. The reason that No Time to Die is finally coming out is they ran out of money f- for advertising. Yeah. yeah. And so they just can't push it back yeah. anymore. Yeah. And and so it's just it's ridiculous to try and keep to that schedule. Martin Campbell famously turned down Quantum of Solace because they were like, we want you to direct the next one after Casino Royale. And he was like, great where's the script and they were like we don't have a script yet but we have a, d- release, a release date, date. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like nope and he I'm was out. like god forbid the writer's strike am i right <laughs> <laughs> well it is i will say it is still a crime that you have an agent called 007 and you have the ability to release a movie in 2007 and you somehow messed that up i mean yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that is the craziest shit. solid point but <laughs> um so the next movie and connor you can i guess provide some context to this one sure. i mean i will say just to pass it to you there is no plot to this film so <laughs> i have a you, counterpoint you, to that but, no you do but, not no, i'll but let you go on, but, but keep going but keep yeah no no but so t- talk to us about lazenby yeah and so, Universal so now we're on to Lazenby. it's him and dolph lundgren yes right? it's <laughs> him and dolph lundgren and jcvd in 1992's universal soldier no this is 1971's universal soldier and it's the movie that Lazenby made right after he did Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And it, again, I'm going to go back to that documentary because I do think it's a really good, it's a good doc. Uh, it's everything a good or nothing. Doc. I think it's an OK doc. I think it's relatively entertaining. And it, it, but it is a good like 101. It, it's that kind of documentary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like It's just like a good piece of information. Anyway. I, I saw it years ago. I remember really liking it, but it's exactly what you just described. Yeah, it's as a formless piece of filmmaking, it's nothing flashy or or groundbreaking. But as a like purely educational, like let me just learn about the history of the James Bond franchise. It's very, I think it's very good. Which is so crazy because most people don't realize it was made by Godard. 
So yeah, so John Luke, he took the money for that one. Yeah, you know? what does a good James like, Bond movie look like? Yeah, he was like, I am a big good James Bond fan. Uh, <laughs> like oh, when he hits pump, the women, pump on my cigar. That, pump, yeah, pump. exactly. Agnes um, Varda, Gavin's, where are you? Gavin's Godard um, impression can, is unfair for all the French <laughs> listeners of your podcast. I really apologize. Let me. That was. Let me quickly so take sorry. this moment to say, Octopussy made. 27 million more dollars than never say never again worldwide so it that did feels octopussy like a, that was... feels like a tight race though in the grand scale yeah. of box office but octopussy numbers. did win i mean yeah. roger okay. moore did win so good for him anyway connor back to you anyway we're gonna i almost wish we were just talking about octopussy instead um to, to which connery would say to roger moore i was still alive when you were dead that so once again Aww. who's the that's winner true. that's true um and meanwhile lazenby lives on god bless yeah him. yeah uh of those first three yeah he's the only one still living right yeah yep, yep. wow yep, yep, yep. um so he won after all uh so anyway <laughs> sorry um so yeah so lazenby basically he does his tenure as bond and to hear him talk about it from the horse's mouth behaved basically like a piece of shit. Like while, yeah. while he was prepping for, while he played James Bond, the, I will say the story of how he gets James Bond is kind of fun, right? He basically yeah. lies his way into it. He was an Australian model before then and kind of basically just winds up talking to Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli and convincing them he can do it. And then he ultimately talks to Peter Hunt, who directed the next movie we're going to talk about, uh, but also directed on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And he's talking to Peter Hunt and Peter Hunt becomes enamored with him once he confesses that he's not an actor because Peter Hunt is like, well, you just lied to like two of the most important people in this business and in this <laughs> franchise. So you must be a pretty OK actor. And, and he and he kind of helped. He was like, don't tell anybody else what you just told me and you're going to be the next James Bond. Right. And he basically on his own admission, you know, w wanted to be Bond for the longest time and really took to it in a way of like wanting to live like Bond and, and all the things and whatever. So, like I said, he kind of just people didn't have a great time with him. And he didn't he didn't understand acting. Yeah, that's, yes, that's that, I mean, that's crucial. But as, it is, as, as Lawrence Olivier but, would say, it's called acting. And in the way and, and just uh, Diana Rigg actually also like. Oh, con, Diana Rigg did not yeah, like him. Confessed no. at a later date that she just could not deal with it, uh, which is, uh, you know, it, it's just funny because in all honesty, if Diana Rigg said that she didn't like me, I grew you up would dissolve. on the Avengers. You would yeah, dissolve into nothing. I grew up on the 60s Avengers, and no, I'm not that old audience, but my dad like raised me on Your dad, 60s, Roger Moore. Yep. My dad, Roger Moore, raised me on 60s spy TV shows. Did you watch I, I Spy as well? Yeah, absolutely. I watched I Spy. I watched Wild Wild West. Mission Impossible, right? Mission Impossible. Like, I watched Is all she that Mission stuff. Mission Impossible? Uh no, oh. but no, but he's the, all oh, you're spy just saying, okay, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All these all these like 60s spy. I watched the girl from Uncle. Like it, nothing was out of oh, bounds. Wow. When did you watch, did you watch Peter Gunn? No, I never did okay, watch that's Peter. That's not Gunn. really spy. That's like a little more yeah. hard boiled detective but, stuff. But but I was in like eleven year old, twelve year old Gavin was madly in love with Diana Rigg. Like madly in love with Diana Rigg, which was so it. funny because 
we then like the next year watched the masterpiece theater version of Rebecca. And I was like, Oh, that's right. She's an old person. Like she's not, Oh, she's she not Danver- that. She's Miss Danvers. Yeah. She's that? Mrs. Danvers. And I was like, what? But it, it's genuinely, if she had ever like, not that she knew who I was, but if, if there was a world in which she was like, I don't like Gavin Medius, <laughs> I would die. <laughs> I would simply die. Well, clearly that's not the case for George. Because yeah, no. lives on. Died yeah, really it, sadly it, is past. Honestly, <laughs> maybe it gave him life or something. But yeah, he was like, "I feed on your contempt." Yeah, he. Yeah, I, so basically, he ba- he came into contact with this dude who I believe became his agent. Maybe I'm speaking out of school there, but while he was playing James Bond, came into contact with this dude who was like a little more keyed into counterculture. And essentially got it in Lazenby's head that like you're working for the man. James Bond is the man like you're doing the wrong thing, dude. Right. I'm I am paraphrasing this whole ordeal, but that's basically what happened. Well, and the other important uh, the other important part that might be the same guy, I believe, is also also Lazenby got paid quite a bit less, of course, than Connery got paid for diamonds uh, or for uh, uh, you only live twice. And I think. You know, Lazenby did it for a song comparatively. And I think as he the second picture is approaching the horizon, the idea of like, hey, man, get paid this time if you're going to work for the man, man, is kind of another part of that. Right. So back to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And just long story short, he's basically convinced not to reprise. I think it also came down to the feeling kind of being mutual. Right. Like like I said, I think he behaved. He also behaved in a way that people weren't really super pleased with and like obviously his acting chops weren't up to snuff i will say i think he's a fine james bond in the one movie he's in and i think you know i think that does reveal also what roger moore learns as well right not to dig on him or whatever but like that you don't really have to be an amazing actor at least at this time to tackle the role of james bond in an effective or convincing way right and we and we and we should say, Gavin, you can correct me here. I believe more, not unlike Brosnan with Dalton, was already in consideration for the oh, role when he was on the Saint. Right? More was the original. More was exactly who Fleming wanted. More right. was Fleming's ideal James Bond. And once again, it's a contract situation where he's on the Saint. He right. can't get out of his contract, so he goes and he does more than the Saint. Though it sounds like it was much more amicable than it was with Remington Steele. Right. Uh, but that, yeah, that's the that's the case that happens, and so they get Connery. So literally, any time that they're in consideration of a new actor, Fleming's like Roger Moore, Roger <laughs> yeah, Moore, yeah, yeah, Ro- you know, big foam finger and everything, and. They find because more because more gets the role late as we talked about. He's an yeah. old Bond even at the beginning. Like Lazenby's thirty one when he's Bond, which is young. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even Connery's pretty young when he gets Bond, but he looks old, right? Which is funny. And yeah. then, well, and, well, I, think he, I think he's I think he's wearing a piece the entire time. The whole yes, time. I think, correct. Yeah, the correct. whole from, time he's from Bond. from Doctor No. He has a piece. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like my, that's one of my favorite trivia questions because you don't think the answer is the whole time, but it's the whole time. yeah. But thank you, Sally Field. Yeah, <laughs> the whole time, the whole time, the whole time, the whole time. Best voice modulation in the history of acting. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, so I would say, but, but uh, Lazenby, the, I, I know people don't love, people feel different ways about this part of uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I do love when he looks in the camera and he says, this never happened to the other fella. I do too. I love it. I think it's funny. I, I yeah. I no, it. Connor doesn't. I hate it. I, hate it. I, I, had I love friends, it. Gr- I had friends growing up that I showed that movie to when we were like young teens. And uh, I was like, I love this. And they yeah. were like. They were like, Tell no. you they were like are you okay? No, I, yeah. I think I largely, Gavin, you're going to get so mad at me because I, I said <laughs> I had this realization. I, so and you and I have talked about this, I think, over the past couple of years. I've been doing like a slow rewatch. Right. So as of whatever, last October or something, I think I finished all of them and caught up to speed again. But on on rewatching Honor Majesty's Secret Service, when I did watch it, I, you know, I had already kind of liked it more than its reputation that preceded it. I don't know how I quite felt about Lazenby. I frankly don't think I paid much attention to him. I had paid attention to him on my rewatch and I liked him because I was like, yeah, he's doing all the things, right? It's, it's you know, again, not a lot of effort required, right, to like pull right, it off. Right. If I'll say this, if you're handsome enough, which he is ex- yeah. exceedingly handsome, right? So it works. But I much like your previous guest, Glenn Dunks, Dunks, Australian model. Yes, oh, Australian yeah, so. model, handsome yeah, well Australian said. men. Well, yeah. it's important to say that, yeah. Uh, and he, the thing about that movie, on her, Majesty, on her Majesty's Secret Service, is that I think it has been so underrated and then so reappraised that I think to me it has come around as now being overrated, <laughs> like. Like that people are like, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is really one of the best Bond movies. And it's like, that might be true, but in a franchise where the batting average actually isn't that great anyway, like I'm kind of like, eh, yeah, it's pretty good. But anyway, I do think I do think Lazenby was a good Bond. I would have been curious to see more stuff. Instead, he goes the other way. Yeah. And he does this movie, Universal. I Soldier. want you to tell me what the plot of this movie is. Okay, hang on, is, hang right on. <laughs> so I understand what you mean when you when you say what you're talking about. It is quote unquote plotless, but it's, it's what if Nick Roeg made a yeah. not good movie. So it's yeah. So it's basically <laughs> and people that's I, the premise of Universal. I'm, Soldier. Not, I'm not the first one to say this, but it's like it's seven like, people listening got that joke by it's, the way. it's like if james one of bond was easy rider right like it's like right. if if there was like international international espionage and and uh dealings and things like that yeah but gun running but it just it wants to be easy rider yes, so yes. bad it's like and, it's like it's not even haunted and, by the ghost of easy rider it's haunted by like yeah. 70 ghosts of easy rider. Agreed. like and here's the thing so uh, quick quick plot because there is one Lazenby plays a man called Riker, who's a mercenary who basically with one of his buddies gets uh, played by a man called Ben Carruthers. They basically wind up doing a deal with the British government to supply arms to an exiled African dictator. Right. Yeah. And. In the process of doing that, they're just there's scene after scene of these guys. Just it's like a happening, right? It's just like you're it, not unlike yeah. Easy Rider or any of those movies at the time. You're just sort of watching scenes unfold and you either vibe with them or you don't. Right. It is almost by its very construction plotless. But what I the reason I call this movie, I, I think, Dan, to say that this movie is plotless intentionally 
uh, is to give it a pass, which I don't think it deserves. I think this movie has a plot and it is just bad. And as right. a and as a crutch, uh, I'm, oh, I see what I, you're saying. I want to I want to get his name right. I'm sorry. Uh, Cy, I, well, Cy, me... Cy Enfield, who's the director. Yeah. I think he's kind. He and Lazenby are kind of like, yeah, it's plotless. We're like, just doing like our easy, thing. Yeah. Well, can yeah. I ask? Can I ask it, Gavin? Let me ask you a question because I was thinking about you while I was watching it as an editor, a professional editor. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, me, me and Connor, we we hire editors. We edit a bit ourselves. We're not good at it, but you are. Are actually, I, I don't think that's. I don't. I will, well, no, no, no. I will argue I'm saying, on that point. But my, yeah. my point is. Me and Connor can edit things as yeah. needed the way that most post-producers should be able to, of course. Not all can, which we've talked about. <laughs> but um, as someone, Gavin, who does it for a living and is good at it, when you watch a movie like Universal Soldier, which admittedly, it's making decisions, as Connor's yeah. saying. What what do you think? Like, just formally, technically, like, how do you react to something? Like, I mean, it, it's difficult because it is clear that they went in with an idea and a style that they're attempting to achieve. Do I think it's completely successful? No, I don't. I'm more in the camp with you, Dan, where, like, I think it does. I mean, I, I maybe agree with them. It doesn't really have a plot. There are scenes where I'm just like. Oh boy, you could have cut this out, right? Like, and and, and it's only like, it's only it's like a hundred and twenty minutes. It's I know, long. less, yes. it's less. <laughs> but, it's like 80 but there's things yes. that are so unimportant to the plot that they don't they, they don't move anything. And I and I I'm <laughs> I'm a very efficient editor, and so when I see stuff like that, it, I mean, it depends. I I do you know I'll I'll watch a four hour movie that's you know ponderous. It actually this. Uh, this weekend, I was just singing the praises of of the Blade Runner twenty forty six, which I think my favorite thing about that is it twenty forty six twenty forty twenty forty nine yeah yeah twenty forty nine. My favorite thing about that movie is that it's a great chill out movie. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, you yeah, just yeah, I agree. And, yeah, I totally agree. This is the opposite. This is so harsh and so just like cut 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 cut. Yeah. But also like here's this scene, here's this camera that it it feels it feels like a like. Like well, they made it as a college project. And and, and and to just give context to my Nicholas Roeg comment earlier. So Nick Nicholas Roeg was an editor, right? Yeah. Who became a very good director. And he's made movie he made movies like The Man Who Fell From Earth, right? Walkabout, right? A lot of movies. Uh one of my favorites is um Performance with Mick Jagger. Insignificance is another good one. He made a lot of good movies. And in his movies, don't look now, in his movies. The editing is harsh, right? And yeah. when he cuts, it will affect you in a way that most movies will not because most editing in most movies is meant to be invisible. That's the point of right. editing in the world of studio filmmaking generally, right? Editing is meant, you're meant to watch it and it's meant to guide your eyes, right? You're meant yeah. to watch a movie and not think about it and to think of the story now, a movie like Universal Soldier, I think in not a incredibly helpful way, is abrasive, um, like you're saying, Gavin, and it doesn't add enough to make it worthwhile. You you right. you're you're watching, and I don't even think, you know, Lazenby is the lead ostensibly, and he's essentially, like you said, Connor, a gun runner who has a crisis of conscience. But I think one of the fundamental problems of the movie is 
it seems like he has the crisis before the movie starts. So that's, yes. that, that's a huge problem. Like Lazenby isn't a good enough actor to pull off the fact that he doesn't agree with what his character is doing. Yeah, there's no inflection yeah. point at the yeah. beginning of this movie that will cause him to break. We He's already broken in the context of this film, which hurts the film because you don't, you have no leg to right. stand on. Right. Yeah. And his, I like his look. He, he has an easy rider look. He looks like a hippy dippy guy, which as we're talking about, I think he kind of was in real life. And well, like he we adopted about, famously yeah. or infamously, whatever he adopted that look immediately after playing James Bond on and, the press tour, yeah, he on, looked like on that. the press yeah. tour. And they were like, this is a fucking disaster, dude. Like you don't look like <laughs> James Bond. Like this is insane. Yeah. And, I mean, I will say he pulls off the hair and the beard in those so handsome photos. Guy. Hans- handsome, handsome, guy. handsome fellow, strong jaw, you know, but 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 it is funny that you bring up the idea of the editing, you know, that sort of jarring editing is sort of there, you know, because the, the other big style point besides Easy Rider is also the burgeoning French New Wave. And sure. one of the things yeah. about the French New Wave is that for the most part, you're supposed to be well aware, you know, it's these postmodern films that you're watching a film. And so the editing allows itself to be intrusive. It allows itself to be harder because you're reminding your audience like, hey, what you're looking at is not reality. I don't think this specific plot (laughs) extends it. But I mean, if you're going for a message film, it's really hard to sell that in like, like hey, you're just watching a hangout. I wonder if you guys agree with me. Uh, uh, I have many problems, obviously, with the film, which I think sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, obviously. My biggest problem, and maybe you'll disagree, but you, you guys can tell me, it feels as though Riker, Lazenby's character, is not cynical but the filmmaking is, is cynical yeah. and Absolutely. that does not work because if your main character is having a crisis of conscience yeah. and his and his deal is like i have sinned let me escape my sin and i mean that earnestly and then you have scenes like where he runs away from his job and you have this debate happening and the joke in the editing is like we keep talking about south africa right and they yeah. they cut it so the joke is like yawn right south africa it's like that's a problem because yeah, right the the your lead doesn't agree with you there are right? two you know what i mean there are two earnest jokes in the movie that i was like that's funny <laughs> one is you have the mustache twirl you know because it's a piece of satire a cynical satire right to a degree and you have the mustache twirly british people conniving about how they're going to get these guns to south africa and the movie would want you to believe that they're going to do it in some sort of clandestine way and then there's a hard cut to a bunch of avis trucks yeah and like things like that i'm like "Eh, okay that's cute like you know it it works and i understand it and it it works as a piece of satire and then there's another joke towards the end of the movie where they're trying to blackmail one of the people and they talk about how they want to receive the money and they're like uh deutschmarks maybe dollars and then they're like this no no not dollars right and like so they're like these little jokes that ring that are fine but it uh, what's weird is and just as a piece of context so to get the funding for the movie Cy Enfield got Lazenby on and was like, hey, here's the script. And Lazenby was like, oh, this is just a normal movie about a gun runner. And Cy was like, yeah, I wrote a normal movie about a gun runner <laughs> so that we can pitch it to people to get the money. But that's not the movie we're going to make. 
Right. And they ultimately... So, so, un- seven, so 60, un- 70. Unsurprisingly, they wound up getting sued by more than a few people uh, because of what they did, which is like, of course, right? Like you literally took people's money yeah. and ran away with it. Uh, but I don't, I hate, I hate sounding like a company man. No, dude, I, same way, like, same way. I'm like, yeah. fuck you doing that. Go to <laughs> yeah, hell. Like, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, like I, you read this story and I, maybe there's a contingent of our listeners. I don't know. That's going to hear that and go like, oh, that's so cool. But like, no, nah, I don't know. Fuck, fuck those dudes. Like, I've, made too to many, <laughs> I've, I've made too many budgets that I've had to actualize where I'm like, <laughs> look, man. Don't do that. Well, but okay. Yeah. I mean, just to build off what you're saying, though, and I think the other part of the problem is, and I know we probably don't want to belabor the point too much on this movie, but I think the other thing is, is you're right. It is a satire and it is going for those gags, but it is like, it is one of those things where it's like, do you care about this subject or do you not care about this subject? And I, and I get it as somebody who has, who is very good at like trying to make a joke at maybe the wrong situation being accused of maybe not being serious enough but th- i was like so this topic do you feel something right, about, you it? Or about it or not or yeah. are you just having a laugh i because if you're just having a laugh it's not f- it's not funny enough well and, and if like, you and if you're not having a laugh then take it a little more serious it feels yeah. like lazenby post bond earnestly was interested in making yeah. a sort of anti-establishment Movie. It should have connected with Richard Lester. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. And, and he would have pulled it off. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, Lester did pull it off, right? Like, that's the what's a bummer is like, if Lazenby meets a guy like Lester, right, it, it's maybe a different La- thing Lazenby is maybe some version of a cinema icon for different reasons, right? Yeah, like, for different yeah. reasons. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's a totally valid point because it, it feels like Lazenby is invested and it feels like he's interested and I don't know who this Cy Enfield motherfucker is, but like it feels <laughs> like he's a dude who wants to make a counterculture movie because he heard it was easy after he yeah. saw Easy Rider. Right. Like and that's kind of how this movie feels, because it feels like and this is this is where I the, the, my basis of contending with your plotless remark is that it feels like what it is, which like is a movie that has a plot and a structure, but is torn apart by its form. Right. But but the two are obviously in conflict with one another. So nothing works. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. That's yeah. definitely a good point. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a solid analysis of it. Yeah. Like, you and now that I'm right, we'll move like, on. And yeah, no, but you're right. Like you you made something that wasn't good. So you messed it up to say that was your intention. The yeah. Whole time. And, and, yeah, that, yeah. and that's just what the movie feels like. I mean, you're like, no, I meant to fail the test as a bit as a goof. <laughs> yeah. As, as a goof. goof. I, you yeah. goof? I'm not a replicant. <laughs> no, no, no. As a goof. Yeah. When Compton, I, Ridley, I did, Ridley. I I'm not a replicant. Ridley, Ridley. Um, all right, so that's Lazen. And look, what's funny about what's funny about Lazenby is he kept making stuff. I always kind of yeah. thought he retired, yeah, but obviously still, I was like, wrong. As kept, of even as of like a, a yeah. year ago or two years ago, like I mean, he, he just did a movie. Yeah, he, like, yeah, he just did a movie called Becoming Bond a few years ago, where he's like parodying pa- parodying Bond in the movie. Yeah. Um. So he's still out and about doing his thing. Um. Our last movie is a Roger Moore movie. We kind of we buried the lead, or I guess the reverse <laughs> of that uh, earlier, and revealing it's not a strong picture. Um, <laughs> it's called it's called Gold. Um, not oh to boy. be confused with the Matthew McConaughey film Gold. Stephen Gagan directed Gold, yes, yeah. or or oh. the film Woman of Gold. Ah, which, is also which, not. which I believe is that our our man Ryan Reynolds and uh, yeah, it certainly is. 
So woman of straw, owner of the gold. There's a joke there. I don't know. Owner of Mint Mobile, Ryan Reynolds. Or <laughs> owner of and, and aviation, aviation gin, gin, which is <laughs> which I, which I've had and is a bit sweet. It's a bit sweet. Not a fan. Um, Not a fan. It's, it's it's a bit. It's I a bit a sweet. I bought a bottle. I bought a bottle. <laughs> yeah. Thank you're welcome, Ryan. You can be sold anything if you put Deadpool 40, on it. I know 40 you guys bucks in your pocket, right? <laughs> so okay, oh gold. Um, oh boy. Let's start with the I song. Mean, yeah, play the song. And <laughs> I'm gonna cut, put cut a little. I'm gonna put a little bit of the song right here. And now you've heard it where somehow, uh, so it's Elmer Bernstein wrote. The, I was going to say, was the yeah. song also Bernstein? I think he, yeah, I think he, yeah, right, he didn't. Uh, Elmer. Yeah. Elmer clearly couldn't, he just couldn't think of other words that rhyme with gold. Like it's, it's like the song trails into a spot where it's just it's gold the beach rhyming where you with turn gold. gold. Yeah. It's the, yeah. That's where we're going right now is the beach oh. where you turn gold. I mean. And I know this isn't a James Bond movie, but when it comes to song titles, do you remember the genius of writing Goldfinger with Coldfinger? I mean, <laughs> gold. It's, it's not. It's not like He's movie themes. <laughs> right, the, the bar was low, and somehow Elmer still didn't clear it. Although I will yeah. say, he wrote a song that is at the end of this movie. Is better that di- and did get nominated for an Oscar. Uh, and it is and is better. Dan and I, Dan and I had a moment of panic over Twitter. We were messaging each other because we was thought like, we thought the gold theme song got nominated for an Oscar. And we I was like, like, it can't be. <laughs> it uh, cannot be. Scrutin' dootin' doot for gold. And I was like, these are the hands that built America. It's a no. very deep cut for a Roger Moore's in the movie Gold. Um, <laughs> so. I don't even okay. So gold, the premise is very quickly. Roger Moore plays a guy named John Gold. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, I wish. Do you guys so, do you guys agree this maybe makes an okay movie on paper? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, look, here's the thing. I think I say all okay. Of these, I'm hedging my bets there. I think it maybe think, makes an okay movie on paper. I think all of these movies well, in I, the room in the in the room you could see buying them right, like because of. Like you're talking about Connor with Universal Soldier. If you're selling me a gun running movie with a political bent starring James right. Bond, I maybe I buy that, you know, and then sure, they, right, maybe right, right. they subvert it and that's a problem. And then Gold, you know, he's just coming off of, I believe it's, is it Man with the Golden Gun? It's 74. This is, I believe, I'm going to look it up. Give me two seconds. Because Gold it's, is 74. No, I so believe I think, it's, he made this between Live and Let Die and Man with the Golden Gun. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, and as we said, Peter Hunt directs this. He directed Living Day, or he, sorry, he directed uh, Honor Majesty's Secret, Secret Service. Service. Yeah. And he knows Roger Moore. So it's kind of like Gavin, you were saying earlier, he kind of brings some of the crew over to do gold. Right. It's a big movie. I mean, it's, it's he's, it gets, I was going to say, he's nothing if not generous you yeah, know, to the people that he totally. works with. And the premise is basically there's a mine where they're mining for gold. Early in the film, there's a horrible accident. 
that claims the lives of I think they say like over a thousand workers, right? Like is is yeah. that the beginning yeah. of it? Well, and, yeah. and specifically the foreman. And so right. the the yeah, sorry, go on. And and you have Ray Milland is the owner of this mine. And kind of in a funny way, not unlike Woman of Straw, I suppose. He's got like a conniving is it's a son-in-law, right? Yeah, Who, yes. Who's angling to purposely um flood the mine basically is what they're trying to do to then in the recovery recoup expenses and whatnot right that's the it's, the, the it's wider some version of, of the, the plot of goldfinger <laughs> is that right well it's just the whole point it's like to create a disaster to manipulate gold on the stock market like that. yes the, right right, right. i'm sorry i forgot about and, the yeah. market the market is the and, whole point right and the foreman was in on it which is why the the like loss of him yeah is... he, he dies in the beginning and that's why it's the inciting incident because yeah right because the son-in-law was in. right the son-in-law yeah. was relying on the foreman the foreman dies accidentally in this in this this thing and so he gets roger moore because moore is like there's a there's he has a record right so the guy is yeah. like oh well this guy will go with me because he's corrupt right that's the assumption but hey he doesn't know he doesn't know who he hired right and I'm going to look up his name because I totally already forgot it. His name is Rodney Rod Slater. Rod Slater. <laughs> is he a played wrestler? By Roger Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Rodney Rod Slater. Is he in They Live? <laughs> um, God, he wishes. God, Roger Moore in They Live. I, he played one of the aliens. I, I watch it. Um, and so basically it becomes the thing of um, Roger Moore gets involved. He doesn't know what's going on. He's a patsy. Susanna York is yeah. the daughter of Ray Milan and the wife of Bradford Dillman, who's the evil son-in-law. And she, spoiler alert, starts an affair with Roger Moore. A very James Bond-esque affair. There's a lot of like pseudo-James Bond things in this movie well, that it just, made it me feels laugh. Like a, it it like, feels like yeah. a James Bond plot with the cool, fun spy shit taken out. Yeah. And it's like, so it's like, what if a James Bond movie was boring? Like, you know, but I, but I do think, I don't know me, like when I was watching it, I kept thinking about like, oh, there's like a, I hate saying this because obviously it'll never exist and whatever, but there's like a version of this movie that's like, you know, at least an entertaining disaster movie or like, uh, or at the very least, some it, it it's not focused enough on the disaster or focused enough on the political atmosphere of the movie. Because we one thing we've not really specified is the mine is in South Africa during right. the peak of apartheid, right? And I've so, been I've been waiting for you to talk no, about no, no. this and because so it, this this is the greatest crime. Yes, of yeah, yeah. So it shoots in South Africa, right? And it was a huge right. contentious thing when it happened. And I I will say to like at the time, I can understand maybe like the Roger Moores of the world being like, well, we got to shoot it in South Africa to like bring awareness or whatever. And I can understand people's hearts being in the right place. But the movie isn't about that stuff enough to make it worth it. And I will I will also counter that their hearts were not in the right place. They were told they were told that they could shoot in Wales and they said they were like. Yeah, they were like, yeah. Wales doesn't look like South no, Africa. No, no, right. And it's right. Their reasons for doing it were purely, <laughs> at the end of the day, superficial. Yeah. To me, it kind of had a very, and tell me if you guys disagree, I thought a lot about um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. 
while watching okay. this a little bit. That's an interesting. O- only, I did not. Only, well, just only because of the things of like you heard the stories about Slumgirl Millionaire of like the children who were in it, like literally yeah. went back to living in poverty, like in the clothes that they wore to the Oscars and shit like. And so it just kind of gained this post award season reputation of like, oh, maybe maybe all that was just kind of a show, right? Like, and that's kind of how this movie felt to me a little bit, like where I can, as I'm watching the movie, I can see- Let me ask you a question. Did a a woman co-direct this movie and get absolutely (laughs) no credit like 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 Slumdog Slumdog Millionaire? And did the director who won the Oscar forget to thank her when he won oh, the Oscar? Oof. That all happened, right? I believe that all yeah, happened. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that's, uh... You know, I like Danny Boyle, but my God, being an English yeah, person was... who did that is a tough thing to deal with. Just <laughs> It feels it's... very four feathers. It feels a little bit too four feathers for me. Well, that's But that's like the way this movie feels. It just feels like, you again, if you were to believe the, you know, potential best intentions... I can see a world where they're like, oh, yeah, we got to do it in South a- Africa because right, right. of an, an awareness. Right. And like seeing how these people get treated or whatever. Yeah. But they're all still secondary characters in the movie. Right. right. Even uh, Bare- barely any lines. Literally. Yeah, there's the any one lines. character whose name is Big King. Right. right is that his, right, is that his right, name? Right. Big King. I, like, I'll, is I'll the character's check, name. Yeah. Who like again? Yeah, he, big, yeah, Simon Sabella. Yeah, but even King, yeah. then, he's like the Gunga Din of South African miners, right? Like right. it's like the, like he's, I, I, I don't know. It's like not even worth really. Ti- I mean, diving the ending. I mean, we into, we won't spoil, but but it does. This movie does what a lot of movies from that time period do, which is the ending is meant to wash away the sins of the whole movie where it's like, right. no, but I mean, see everything, everything gets right in the end. Right. And the, thank, you know, and thankfully guy, it's because guys of these win, people, bad guys lose. Yeah. 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 Right. But like these people is a monolith and that's the whole problem. Right. So it's right. like, it, it's, it's troublesome. And look, Roger Moore famously, it was, a, as you said before, Gavin, very generous guy in real life. he, some of the stuff he did as James Bond, he always regretted. Like in, I can't remember which movie it is. He man like, with the golden gun. He throws the tie boy. He throws the tie boy off the boat, and he like was so mortified by that yeah. because he was a big, kind of a UNICEF type of a guy. He was an ambassador know. at UNICEF. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so those are that's those are lovely sentiments. Unfortunately, gold it just doesn't achieve whatever he probably thought it was going to achieve. And, and look, right. it doesn't make any real impact in any real way for anybody. It's not a hit, you know, it, you know, it gets an Oscar nomination, but that, you know, anyway, if, if I do have to be nice, if I do have to, because you don't I have, really I mean, did, you don't have like to be this, nice, but if you this movie yeah. was hard to get sure. through, oh, I, agree. I will say, yeah, I agree. Harder than um, universal soldier, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, because totally. at least, at least for everything I was saying about Universal Soldier, I think it did have a style point and something for me to latch on to. And so I was able to like vibe with it for a little sure. bit. But this totally. I never I, I never did. Yeah. I agree. And uh if I do have to give one compliment, I will say Susanna York is a consummate actor and she really gives it her all, even though behind the scenes, any chance that she got, she was speaking to the press about the treatment of black people in South Africa and the producers hated that and they tried to stop which her, like reveals she... what you're talking about like yes. the true intentions of like no, and, no, no, we need the location though like, right yeah and it's up. so funny because 
I kept going back and forth going, why did she do this? Like, why? And I think in the end, her thought process was the good I can do speaking about it from a firsthand perspective sure. from being there maybe outweighs the negative of just not doing the movie. And I want to give her hopefully that because I do really like Susanna York. And once again, I think she's the best thing in this movie because even Ray Milland, who I don't have an issue with, is not great here. Well, he's just like because he does, he's just there. It's like he's just yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And so I, I do think that there is. If once again, if I have to give it one positive, I will give it the fact that she was even involved and that she, you know, it, it returned a performance for an underwritten character and then also like tried to advocate for the situation of the people at the time, even though they shouldn't have been there. It reminds me you remind me of um, Chadwick Boseman, you know, R.I.P. is in Gods of Egypt, uh, which you yeah. know, is, is a real, largely forgettable Alex Preuss picture, whatnot. But. Not to Alex Boreas. Well, yes, true. <laughs> but but um, someone asked Chadwick Boseman, you know, all of the gods in the movie are white, right? Except for you. How do you feel about that? And they asked him, I guess, why he took the role or something. And his quote is essentially like, if I didn't take the role, w would they have given it to a white guy? Like, so he, the, right. the, the contention being, I took it so there would be representation on screen even though I was knowing, you know, the, the six other quote unquote gods in the picture were all white people. And yeah. I think that's always an interesting bit of context with some of these arguments that's important where it's like, look, yeah, I mean, that's an impossible position to be put in a lot of the time, politically, racially, right. what have you. And if you're Susanna York, yeah, maybe you're like, well, look, if I'm given a platform, and the question is going to be asked. I'll answer honestly, and that's yeah. got to that's got to be worth making this crappy movie. Or, sure. You know. And I'm sure they I'm sure they threatened to fire her, and I bet oh, she sure. was like, "Go ahead, right? Who who else are you going to get to like fly out to South Africa? Because there were threats against the movie being made, you know, because they they, they were going to censure the film because there was there was basically a worldwide ban of doing. This sort of thing, you know, in a very similar, Africa. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the apartheid Africa. Yeah. Every, a similar thing happened with Paul Simon when he did his Graceland album, and he went there and you know say what you will about the album, which is great, but like people were like, you broke the like artistic embargo that we've had for years to go there and make this. So it it's one of those catch twenty twos. You know, do I think this movie should have been made there? No, but if there's a positive thing to come out of it, it's maybe that Susanna York was like, I'm going to fucking advocate for and, this stuff. And I think, frankly, even artistically, I think the movie could have gotten away with it overall if the movie was more about the heinous yeah. condition. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can make an argument. You know what I mean? That it's like, yeah. oh, no, we're going there to do it because, like, this is where it's happening and it's terrible and these people are getting treated horribly, right? Yeah. But the movie is not that but the movie's very very white savior yeah, yeah and that yeah. white savior is roger moore yeah. it's so <laughs> it's 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 all gross but yeah um which is why again i'm i kind of i kept thinking about a movie like deep water horizon which is a movie <laughs> that I, I i actually in the grand scheme of like the peterberg uh mark Wahlberg hoorah series of movies i think is basically fine but like Again, it's a disaster movie. And that's the that's the level that that movie functions on, which to your point, Gavin, is like, yeah, shoot this movie anywhere else. Like make it a mine 
literally anywhere else. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't even need to be gold. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they could be mining for literally anything and yeah. you could still have your movie. Um, it could it could be like the McConaughey movie gold, which spoiler alert, there's no gold in that gold. movie. It's fake gold, but they there's really they needed to call gold. it gold so they could have that dope loopy doopy doop for gold. Wow. <laughs> uh, now let me ask. Okay, so as we're approaching kind of the end of part one of this little mini series we're doing of B side bomb, I just felt everyone's heart drop because they were like, "There's another <laughs> part." <laughs> no, it's going to be good, guy. We got good ones coming up. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that be... we're talking about Dalton. Dalton's a fun non-movie star. You know, he's yeah. similar to oh, similar yeah. to Moore in that way. Kind of he he had it, and then he you know, he never was able to really cash it in the way he thought he probably could have. And and, um, and I think I mean I think more. You know, I think sorry. I think Dalton more so than Moore was like I'm an actor. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so you know because you look at some of you look at some of Dalton's earlier stuff, and I know not to bury the lead for the next episode, but like, like the lion in winter oh. where he's just like, Oh yeah. Fopping around. He's great. And be, you know, so good. He's like 19 years old. And he's just like, which by the way, they apparently had contacted speaking of, by the way, to replace, uh, Connery, they had contacted Dalton and he turned them down. He said he was, right, I'd read that. I'd read that. Yeah. 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 So, so he was kind of just funny. always on the docket. Like it yeah, is funny. funny more than anything, more than any other franchise with Bond, they just had the list and they keep crossing them yeah. off no matter what age they are. They're just like, we got to get Dalton. Let's get Dalton. If we don't get Brosnan, we'll get Brosnan later. We'll get him. You know, like you, who do you that? Maybe this is we'll save this for part two. But just like who is on that list that's next? Well, that's what I was. That I like don't may know. have aged yeah. out. Yeah. I don't. Know. I don't. I don't know who's next, but I do. Um, you mentioned in your last episode about Sam Neill and how Sam Neill yes. never hit. He yeah. Sam Neill was was on the list to replace more. Yeah. And you can actually find. I think it was released on the DVD box set, but it's also on YouTube. You can find his audition scene Ooh. because what they do, the thing that they make you audition with is the bedroom scene from from Russia with Love. It's classically the thing they always make you audition oh, that's with. So everybody who's ever auditioned for Bond does that, the like, like your mouth, it's the right size, you know, perfect size for me. That sort of like <laughs> Great. gross. Wow. Like, is Sean Connery um, in the Zoom yeah. from the dead? He just came into the Zoom. The, um, is the dragon from Dragonheart in the Zoom right <laughs> no. now? That's, that's more correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do this piece of shit. What am I, a dragon? My tail goes... Um, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I never, yeah, I never like, leave this roof without throwing something <laughs> off. <laughs> Truly, one um, of the craziest lines ever uttered for, in any for film. Connery. Though that feels like a yeah, Tuesday. Not for like, uh, <laughs> truly, one of the wildest lines. Fucking entrapment. God bless. Anyway, <laughs> it is funny that they have they have rewritten the from Russian with love scene so it now ends with whatever actors auditioning saying you're the man now dog <laughs> so that's it's very strange that they include that but yeah but the same neil audition is on youtube and it's really it, it's one of those like wow what could have been but yeah. I, I don't know if he's did jack, I, I, have did jack a while. I don't know if he's great but jack. who's jackman uh no i don't oh i mean i i genuinely don't he know he just always they seemed were, like one of the dudes who would have made a fucking killer james who, bond the other one, the other like weird well, trivia Owen, fact. Obviously, sure. people talk about forever. Yeah. yeah. The the other weird trivia thing that's escaping my brain currently, but there was going to be an American, and now I can't remember. Who oh, it, it was. Is. Um. Oh God, I know who this is. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It should was, we uh, real quick? Should we pour one out for Barry Nelson, who played James, Jimmy Bond <laughs> in Jimmy Bond in the Casino Royale TV serial? Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, in that movie that they did release, uh, Woody David Allen plays Niven. a version. David Nevin, 
Who does yeah. who does Woody Allen play in that movie? He plays Jimmy Bond, and yeah, right. David Niven plays like the proper James Bond. James Bond, I believe. yeah. Um, yeah, and that was like '68 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but so what I was gonna say was, so Gavin, your least favorite Bond is Die Another Day. My least favorite yes. Bond is Diamonds Are Forever. Connor, what's yours? Just out of curiosity. Uh, probably Octopussy's up there. Um, All right. Although I do think that train sequence is really good. Octopus is my second least favorite. It's yeah. That's it's, is, that, it's, it's, yeah. is that Jill, that is that Jill St. John? Yes. Yeah. 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 Her second time as a Bond girl. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, but a funny anecdote. Uh, when I was doing the great James Bond rewatch with Dan, which took us five years, by the way. Uh, when we got to Octopussy, we got about halfway through and Dan did that thing where you check the time. Sure, yeah, yeah, And yeah. he was like, we are only halfway through. It's long. And he paused yeah, it. He paused it and he left the room and we didn't finish it for, until six months later. <laughs> he was so mad. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, who could blame him? It's, who could a, blame it's him? a tough one. Um, I don't know. It's, it's either that or I'm not as hard on die another day as a lot of people are uh although it's not my favorite but not you know I'm, what am i saying i'm like talking in circuit no it's got to be octopussy it's got to be that yeah for, i mean for, I guess for sure so i mean i guess any final thoughts in these three movies i mean they're pretty straightforward i yeah. would say you know chron- it literally chronologically is the ranking for all of yeah, yeah. I, would, like. I would agree like i would say skip gold completely uh you've yeah. heard the theme song that's the most you'll get out of that movie and then yeah, I, Universal Soldier, I'll say, is on YouTube. You can find it for free. Yeah. It's a really bad transfer. We didn't actually say that when we were talking about it. So in that movie's defense, I guess, you know. Which which is funny because it's maybe the best transfer that exists. I mean, that's the whole thing of the YouTube video is it's like best possible yeah, transfer. No, yeah. Um, but but I will back you up on that. I do think for as much of, as messy as it is, Universal Soldier is maybe worth a watch because it's like yeah, kind of yeah. coming in that like new hollywood french new wave like i, I think if you're a bond fan and you want to know like what the fuck was george lazenby up to like yeah i don't know i was kind of fascinated by it in that regard and it's uh, i think i mistakenly said uh 120 minutes what i meant was it's an hour and 20 minutes it's like yeah very short uh so yeah and then i think yeah like i said i think woman of straw is something if you want like i said diet hitchcock yeah i, I think it's a it's a fine There's launch e- there's easily 30 minutes that could be cut out of Woman of Straw, but I Isn't will that say every movie, though, Gavin, there's like 30 <laughs> minutes. Every movie could be 30 minutes. Short. Every movie should either be 90 minutes or three and a half hours. That's the way it works. <laughs> um, but uh, the I will say it's a beautiful looking film as well, too. And and I do, you know, I, I think uh, Gina Lillibrigida is very good in it. I think Sean Connery is very good. In it, and I think when he has his you know like snidely whiplash moments those that turn is is well well done on his part um and ralph richardson is great but also like too much it's a lot but that's the thing is it's a lot the, the, yeah. the movie the movie is so restrained and then he's the one character that's just like so much it's just like, I, like hold, what is hold my beer well, every time i said yeah. i think i said this to you dan when i was watching it like woman of straw felt like watching an extended episode of succession Oh, yeah. in terms of just like Ralph Richardson as Brian Cox. And it's like, how terrible could this person be? Let's find <laughs> out, shall we? Um, but anyway, that's part one. 
of our James Bond B-side. Get ready. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us. For uh, part two, we'll be back. We're going to be talking about, in order, uh, Brenda Starr, starring Timothy Dalton. And uh, then the Pierce Brosnan version of Robinson Crusoe. And then a uh, an indie movie uh, that Daniel Craig made uh, maybe before Casino Royale, but it came out between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace called Flashbacks of a Fool. So those are going to be our three B-sides for that. And you can tune in uh, when when that drops. And then we'll probably also do a, a little bit of discussion on No Time to Die because it will have come out by the time our next episode drops. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Gavin, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you? Uh, if you want to listen to me and my good friend Louis talk about movies, we're actually uh, after this episode, we're recording our hundredth episode. By the time the second of this episode comes out, Mazel tov. We, we will have had our hundredth episode. Uh, we are the mixed reviews. We're a film podcast. We take a film subject and we take two weeks to study as much as we can, um, including you know sometimes we do actors, sometimes we do directors, sometimes we do a mini genre. And you can find us at all the normal places: Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google. I have them all memorized at this point. You can contact us at, at the mixed reviews on Twitter. Um, if you want to find me for some unknown reason after listening to this, you can find me on Twitter at at friendless mean. It's how I plan to die someday. <laughs> we all that's how we all plan to die. Friendless mean. Um, <laughs> you got you guys have each other. That's true. You know what? We'll, we'll have black rain and each other. I was um, friends with Dan Mecca for a lifetime and all I got was this stupid T-shirt. <laughs> um, well Dan, where can people find you? Oh, you know, at DJ Mecca, writing reviews, doing things um, yeah, for the film stage, as always. And here, and here for part two, as always. <laughs> uh, and you can find me on uh, Twitter at Scruffy Look, and you can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. Oh, and let me shout out, because Gavin's here. I do uh, Fathom Stories, at Fathom oh. Stories, which is a podcast I do which is short Twilight Zone stories. Gavin wrote um, 321, which is our, one of our more recent stories. Connor does a voice in it. It's very good. Um, I was lucky enough to be a part of it. Um, if you are listening, our final story for season two, right, our 20th kind of episode has dropped, but 321 is currently available at fathom stories fathom is the podcast wherever you get your podcast give it a listen give it a subscribe give it a like gavin's a super talented writer the other one he wrote is correct me gavin modern warfare right modern warfare it's a two-parter it's very good too i I was just gonna say i the fact that you said you're you're honored to be a part of it like no the honor is all the fact that you were like you guys like that one was just a fun little thing that i wrote and you took it and you you both made it amazing and your lovely wife is really fantastic yes thank you as well as adrian carey who did all of the the editing and sound design for it like i i it's so much better than the the little thing that i wrote so like that's that's on you guys you did a great job so thank you for producing as my dad would say who just visited god bless dan mecca senior it's always it's always the writing. That's what that's what Dan Mega Senior says. And I You know what I'll I take will, it. I will and I will sometimes say to him, that's not always the writing, but I will say in in this case, it, it definitely is the writing. Um 
And Connor, sorry to interrupt you. I'll throw it back to you for the finish. I just I would be remiss not to mention that as as we have Thank our you. lovely Gavin here. Yeah. So. No, just uh, tune in uh, a couple weeks from now. We'll be dropping part two where we'll talk about the B sides that I mentioned. Uh, and uh, I believe I don't want to speak too soon, but I believe sometime between now and then I will also be reviewing No Time to Die nay for now, the film now. stage. So. Check out that review, I suppose, once it drops. You'll probably hear my thoughts <laughs> here as well, so it might be a little redundant, and I apologize. But um, until then, may your martinis be shaken, but not stirred.